0: But here we are, let's, let's instead turn our attention to the book of James. We've gotten to chapter 4, and I just want to say on the front end, I'm only covering five verses of James chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 13. Five verses, but over this last week, I, I've got a confession to make. I think the main, um, the person that James is going after it has eluded me all the different times and all the years gone by that, that I've been reading this text. It's, it's like you do one of those jukes, you know, quick, like, oh, he almost got me. No, you know, I, I actually feel like I have evaded the strong message of this section of James and thought a different person was in mind. So maybe that'll happen to you. I, I want very much for you to, to feel and sense the weight of what James is bringing, not for the guy down the row, but, but the person that's sitting in your seat right there. So let me, let me read. Let, let's go ahead and stand up together. I'm going to read for you. You can follow along in your Bible. On the screen, it'll be there as well. But let me, let me read these words to you. James 4.13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring what your life will be. You're you're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then just vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good thing and yet not do it. Okay, before we uh, sit back down, I just want to ask you, as you're Considering those words, who do you think that's for? Who does James have in mind? Does he have in mind you know, people who make a lot of money? Is he going after business people? I don't, I don't think so. He's, he'll get after the wealthy next week in chapter five. Not, not today, I don't think so. Is it people who are control freaks, right? You plan, you plan, you plan. You get everything in order, plan. Is he after control freaks? I mean, they're mentioned. Um, people who are arrogant, look at those words, arrogant, boast. They're, they're, they're proud. Is that who he's after? I want us to pray and reread it and, and ask God maybe to take a couple of those layers off and even more with laser focus, uh, allow us to look in the mirror a little bit more carefully. Okay? So Jesus, help us to hear from you. Help us to know that this, this sacred text is intended to change my life. And the lives of everybody here who is about to hear, again, what you have for us, Lord. So we absolutely need your help. We're really good at that little juke. We're really good at that little evasive move and somehow escaping the full weight of your word. And we don't want to do that. We want to stand here ready for everything that you have for us. So the Bible says, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you're you're like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. This is God's word. Go ahead and be seated. So those first couple of words that, that start us off in, in verse 13, they're really important. Come now. It's I want you to imagine a school teacher out on the playground going, Hey, listen up, listen up. That's that's kind of what's going on. It's a very directive, very emphatic kind of language. That, hey, listen up, right? Or maybe a parent, you know, all the kids ah, running around. Hey, 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 you know, everybody listen. He's doing that right now with those two quick little words, come now, and then immediately says, come now, and now he's going to direct those words. You who say, so here's who he's calling for. Here's the people that need to gather around the school teacher. You who say, today or tomorrow, travel to such and such a city, spend a year there, do business, make a profit. I think that the, the guy that James is talking to is probably sitting in your seat and is certainly standing on this stage, a guy who often is a functional atheist, a functional atheist. Coach Dermody and I were talking this week about this. This is his phrase. It's not his phrase. I've seen Paul Tripp. Different different ones have used this. I don't know who originated it. Thank you to whoever originated it. I'll give credit if I knew who to give credit to. But a functional atheist is this it's a Christian who is so self sufficient in their day to day lives that they act as if there is no God. That's what a functional atheist is. Christians who are so self sufficient that in their day to day lives they actually act. As if there is no God. So in other words, these are good folk, right? These are, these are good citizens. They're good neighbors. These, these are people who are productive. They're contributors to society. They live very well-ordered lives. They've got contingency plans, for their contingency plans. You know, they've, they've got the emergency fund all set up. They, they have daily goals, weekly goals, annual goals, lifelong goals, and they're hitting them and they're, and they're checking out to make sure that they have These are very just good people, okay? But somewhere along the way, these, these are not like the rebels. He's not going after those really wicked people out there. He's talking about well-ordered people, but somewhere along the way, they've forgotten how fragile life is. They've forgotten how unpredictable life really is and how dependent they are on the grace of God. James wants to wake us up. Hey, pay attention. Right now. He wants to wake us up because maybe you also have forgotten how fragile your life is, how unpredictable life is, and how dependent we truly are. God is just absent. Did you notice that in those opening verses? God's just absent. He's not consulted. He, he's not on the radar, right? He, you should be saying, he say, if the Lord's will. But, but God isn't part of the equation. You almost picture this, this thing, you know, a first century group of, of business men and women. And they're deciding, hey, man, maybe they've unrolled their map. Of, of, you know, the known world, first century. Man, if we could just get to Smyrna, you know, we could do, you know what? I, I hear there, there's a great need in huge market in Ephesus. Let's go, like they, they've got this whole plan and they might even be Christians and they've long forgotten that, almost like the, the letter to the church in Laodicea in Revelation, it's like Jesus is standing outside the door. He's long since left their little circle and they don't even recognize. He's like knocking, hey, anybody wanna let me in? Not even in the room, right? They're not even consulting Jesus at all. He says, you should be saying, if the Lord wills, we will live. Even that phrase right there, you will live, right? We learn from Acts 17, God gives to all people life and breath and everything else. The reason you're taking your next breath is because God is giving you that breath. So if the Lord wills, you will live, okay? And then you will, if you have life, do this or that or this or that city, whatever. So functional atheists, skip those important four words if, if the Lord wills. So I want uh, Dr. James, a uh, physician. James, he's not actually a physician, but today he's going to be a physician. And he's gonna be doing some prodding, some poking. So if you go to a doctor, maybe it's because you have an ailment or maybe you're just going in for a checkup. Every now and then they'll say, hey, tell me if this hurts, how about this? Does this hurt? Oh, yeah, that one, right? That's the way I, I, I feel that James is approaching this. So I, I want you to be ready. As James goes through this text, I want you to be honest. Say, oh, yeah, okay, that one. That one hurt. Okay, that's, that's what we're going to do. And I hope all of you do hurt at some point. I hope he finds a tender spot. I've got him all over, <laughs> right? First question that I have for the diagnosis. When he pokes the first time and asks, does this hurt? How do you think about your prophets? How do you think about your prophets? Not the Old Testament, prophets. I'm talking about, you know, money, like prophets, that kind of prophets. That's the illustration that he uses. That's, that's why I start there. That's the illustration. We're going to go do this and that. Why? Because we want to make a, a prophet. Now, God's not involved. I, I just want to make a prophet. So James uses that as his primary illustration of a functional atheist. As it turns out, so does Jesus. So we've talked a lot about the, the, you know comparing the book of James to the teachings of Jesus, especially the parables. Here's one more example of that in Luke chapter 12. Here's a parable that Jesus tells, if you got your Bible, you can turn there because you might want to keep a pencil in your hand as, as I read this out to you. in Luke chapter 12, starting verse 16. Here's the parable. Jesus told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive, good, good citizen, very productive, okay? And he thought to himself, now that's really important, he's not praying. Well, actually he is praying, but he's praying to himself, okay? He's having a conversation with himself. So he thought to himself, and now from this point on, if you've got a pencil and a Bible, start circling all the first person personal pronouns, okay? <laughs> he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. Oh, I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. <laughs> right? It's just unbelievable. I've got so many circles I can barely read my words in my Bible. Then I'll say to myself, there it is again. He's having an internal conversation There is no God that he's talking to. He's just having this chat with himself. Oh, sweet. You've got many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself there's the key word he stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God Sinclair Ferguson I love his treatment of this he says there is such an obsession with this world that it's matched with an indifference to the world to come There's such an obsession, again, you can almost picture these people, hey, the map and how much and the the figures on the side and the margins or whatever. There's such an obsession with what's going on in this world that it it leads to a complete indifference to the eternal world. I'm going to really poke now, okay? We've got an interesting trend going on in our church family. So just... I want to be careful because it's a tiny little trend. We're just talking about the last couple months. So that's not really a very good, you know, if you're an economist or something, that's not a very good track record to mark anything. But I just want to say, here's what's going on in the last couple months. Our attendance has been skyrocketing. I mean, year over year and in two years, uh, just by the hundreds, more people coming. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here right now. Now, here's the reveal. In the same amount of time, our offerings have gone down. And I'm not even talking about offerings per capita, like per head. I'm talking about overall, just last couple months, down. Now this isn't some juke again to all of a sudden, you know, plead for money. Because actually, we're, by God's grace, we're doing well. You guys, we're just paid off our mortgage. We're debt-free. Like, we're progressing. This isn't some, you know, conniving way to get you to, what I'm just saying is, as pastors, we're asking ourselves, oh man, I see those people coming through but are they being discipled toward Jesus? Is it possible that we're creating functional atheists who give a nod to Jesus and say, yes, I believe, but actually aren't? I'm saying James and Jesus uses this very thing as one of the key barometers to say, are you in alignment with God? Because functional atheists only talk to themselves and they only think about their prophets. They don't, they're not thinking, oh, Lord, you've given me these gifts. You've given me these talents. And in fact, by some accident of latitude and longitude, I was born here to where I could have all these advantages as opposed to another latitude or longitude where I wouldn't have all. So, Lord, why? Why have you given me so much? It's a gift. And you recognize God, a functional atheist, never asks, oh, Lord, what would you have me do? So how do you think about your prophets? Does that hurt yet? Are you feeling? Okay, here's the next one. It doesn't get easier. Here's the next one. How do you think about getting old? Says one of the oldest guys in the room, right? How do you think about getting old? So James, back in in, in James 4, in verse 14, says, wait, you don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. You're like a vapor, appears for a little while and then vanishes. He's... He's not being some kind of killjoy here. He's just trying to wake us up because we forget this very bold, should, should be obvious truth. He's just reminding us that it's, it's a life-giving thing. He, he compares life to a vapor. Why? Because vapors appear and you can see it and then all of a sudden it, it's ever-changing, right? Vapors are always moving around and then all of a sudden they get really thin and then they just vanish. That's actually a really great metaphor for your life and my life. It's there, you can see it. Always changing, always in flux. Boy, that's getting thin, right? (laughs) Barely holding on and then it's just gone like it was never there. I'm glad that James is poking and prodding on this one because most of you here this morning are Americans. And the air that we're breathing in America right now, there's this strong wave of anti-aging going on. It's not just a, a, a worldview, it's an industry this anti-aging thing. As you start looking at studies, I just did a little scratch into the studies of it. We're way ahead of Western Europe and other you know countries like that in, in our fascination with not aging. So this last week I was in the dentist and uh, so I'm back and I've got somebody you know with stuff in my mouth but, but they've got on this whole screen, they've got like the Food Channel or something like that, the Food Channel going on and one of the advertisements on the Food Channel that day was this woman and uh, this middle-aged woman and she's going, I just love it that so many people think that I'm my daughter's sister instead of her mom. And then she went on to sell something. I actually don't even remember what she's selling because I was so thrown off by the whole thing. And my initial response was, if she could have heard me, I wanted to say, oh, actually, nobody's fooled. <laughs> actually, I can tell you're the mom. And so I, maybe you're telling yourself, so that's the snotty part, but but true. But anyway. Um, but you know what? The second thing I wanted to scream at her, but I her stuff in my mouth. I wanted to, you know what? How about be thankful that your vapor is still intact and you get to be along the ride with your adult daughter? How about not just saying, wow, look, look at, I've got enough health and enough, vital. I'm still here with my daughter. I thank God for that, right? Why not just accept the season of life? And bless God and look up to God and say, man, I'm so glad. But listen, this isn't just a grandma issue. Like that's been around for a long time. Middle-aged women of a certain age not liking that, right? So we, we get that, that whole thing. I just saw an advertisement. That's still with us. You know what's even more twisted in our day in your day? It's not only switched genders, but it's switched ages. Have you heard this, this new word? It's actually made it into the dictionary just this last year. Looks maxing. Looks maxing. One word. You're laughing. You've heard the word. Looks max. You know what that is? That's actually a word now that we're gonna have to have in our dictionaries, unfortunately. It's it's a description of especially young men. We're talking about teens and twenties men who are so fascinated with stopping aging, the aging process, and it's gone way past just eating differently, taking supplements going to the gym, now it's Botox, and now it's breaking jaws to give a more squared masculine jaw line. And this is going on to where that's one of the newest, coolest words in our dictionaries. Young men. Children of God, please hear me. Be healthy. Take care of yourself. But accept that you are a vapor. You're going to be changing and morphing and getting thin, and then you're going to vanish. And if you would accept that, you would rest easier, and you would be able to thank God for every breath. Because you know what? I know a lot of people who that vapor disappears way too prematurely. You know them as well. They're not here with this anymore, right? Way too suddenly, that vapor just disappeared and we were all kind of unprepared for that if you are still here today if you're hearing my voice today thank god here you are in whatever season you're at and stop trying to change what the creator has made you to be the season that he's brought you into because functional atheists defy the creator's rhythm they defy this idea of the vapor right they, they want to hold on and and control how do you think about getting old If you haven't felt his prod yet, here's the next one. Do you pray? Do you pray? When I ask do you pray, I don't mean have you ever prayed. I don't mean even do you every now and then occasionally pray. Here's what he says. Verse 15. Instead, you should be saying. These are the words that should come out of your mouth. You should say if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. But as it is, the fact that those words aren't coming out of your mouth, because I'm having to feed you words to say because you're not saying those, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Evil. A prayerless life isn't just, ah, I wish I did better, I should be better. It's arrogance, it's boasting, it's evil man if if i'm gutted by any one of these well i'm pretty much all but this one really hit because this week i i was planning okay i was planning exactly this text as i'm reading this well i'm going to be taking mark and i'm taking jake each with me to zambia in july and I'm excited about that we're going to be training more church planters and we get to do a ribbon cutting on a church out at that village where some of our doctors here were able to put a clinic There's a church there, 300 people gathering with no building, just outside. We're going to help them put a little metal roof on a place so they can get, it's going to be awesome, awesome. So I'm planning, right? I've got airline tickets and I'm trying to find a vehicle. And then, so I text my friend Jonathan in Zambia, okay? I text Jonathan because, I'm, hey, Jonathan, the guest house that I normally would stay in in Lusaka before we head north, uh, they don't have any place for us to stay. Where would you suggest? Here was Jonathan's response to me. Here's the, here's the reply. Man, I love you Americans, always planning ahead, (laughs) right? You're in February, and you're thinking of July, question mark, and this was the killer. I wish I could be more forward-looking, and as I read that, I got the same stomach ache I just got again. I put my phone down. I was like, "Oh, oh, no, I wish I were more like you. No, don't learn that from me because you know what I do know is my Zambian friends are some of the most prayerful people that I know so it's not their things they're praying about aren't is there a guest house available for me and my friends in July (laughs) hasn't exactly hit their radar screen to be on their knees you know beseeching the Lord yet (sighs) see they're going through a drought right now it's supposed to be rainy season but it hasn't rained in weeks All my friends' crops are dying in the fields. And they don't have barns just packed with future food. Whatever they grow that year is what they feed their families, and they're going through a drought. So I said to many of them, I've been trying to praying and praying, praying. Please join me in praying for rain. I said to Marjorie, who runs our our Hope Center, I said, have the rains come? And she said, no, they haven't. And then she said this, but God is in control, whatever happens. That's my Zambian friends. Yeah, don't, no, Jonathan, don't learn how to plan. Teach me how to pray, right? Because functional atheists don't pray. <laughs> they don't. Here's another text I, I want you to note with me because, again, it shows how James is leaning back into Jesus' teaching. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus also said, therefore, you should pray like this. Remember, James, James said, you should say this, and now here's Jesus saying, hey, you should pray like this, and it's the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, starting verse 9. If we all did this, if we just did what Jesus told us to do and prayed this prayer, it would be life-changing. Our Father in heaven, stop. If you got up every day and spoke those four words, it would radically change your life. All of a sudden, you're actually saying, oh, there's a God in heaven. I'm recognizing that you are there right now. I'm not gonna step into this day as a functional atheist. God, you are my father and you are in heaven. Your name be honored as holy. I'm not gonna step into this day trying to make much of me and my name. Lord, your name, I want it to be honored today as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Lord, I'm still on this earth, but somehow you've got heavenly purposes for my presence here on the... On this earth, my vapor hasn't totally vanished yet. It's getting pretty thin, but it's still here. So what do you want done on this earth because you've decided that in heaven? What, What is that today? Give us today our daily bread. Yeah, I know my pantry's full and my fridge is full, but actually every breath you give me, I need it to live. I'm more dependent on you than I care to admit. So Lord, I'm dependent on you. Forgive us our debts, and I'm going to list them right now. And there's more of them than than I even have. But Lord, here's the way I've dishonored you, and I don't want to do that today. I want to step into today with a clean slate. As we have forgiven our debtors, oh, man, I want to make clean slates out there as well. Help me to do that. Don't bring us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one, because we're stepping into a war zone, and there's, there's really an enemy, and he really wants to clobber me. So will you... Surround me with your protection. Functional atheists don't pray if the Lord wills. They don't pray the Lord's Prayer. Do you pray? Veritas, if we just prayed through the Lord's Prayer every day, this place would be transformed, right? I believe that with all my heart. If I did and you did and all of us together are just seeking the Lord... Okay, here's here's the last, arguably the most important question I've got for us from James. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to die? Psalm 34 says, Lord, make me aware of my end and, and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. The reason the psalmist is having to pray that is because he's just like us and we don't think about the end. So he's praying, God, help me to be aware of that end because that will change my today. If I actually know and admit that I'm going to die. See, sometimes functional atheists function that way because they are atheists. Sometimes we function that way because we're really Christians and we just, man, we, we just get bad habits again. We just, we've on a bad path and, and we know better and we get there again. That, that happens. But sometimes functional atheists function as atheists because they are. Now, I don't, I don't mean that you don't believe in God. It's just that your, your God doesn't have a capital G God. It's a little g. In fact, you could, Put a strike through that and insert your name? Because functional atheists have a God who lets me call all the shots. I don't actually ask God anything. I call the shots because I'm actually God. I, I've created, it's called idolatry, right? I've created a God who sits idly by and just smiles and nods at me and actually pats me on the head every now and then because I'm just doing so great. And so I get his approval all the time. Now, unless I need him. Now, if I need him every now and then, I bump up against something that is off my pay grade. Now I need him to come almost like, you know, a really good trained dog. Like I want that dog just to carry on and be out there. But the minute I need him, you know, I want him there. So maybe, maybe your God is like that. Like, you know, you carry on, but as soon as you need him, he better be there and he better do what you're asking him to do. Maybe that's the kind of God that you've created. A God who lets you go into heaven when you die. Why? Because you decided that people like me go to heaven. Not people like that, but people like me go to heaven. I always wondered why in James 4, the last verse seems so out of place. Verse 17 Verse seventeen says, So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. You know who he's talking to? The people who are like, I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this. I'll let you tell me again, and I'll show up next week and let you tell me again. He's saying, wake up. James is saying, come now. Don't think that you have somehow evaded the pressure to ask yourself the question, am I slipping back into bad habits, I'm really a Christian, I, I, I got some fine-tuning to do, or is this displaying you're actually not a Christian at all? And if that's true, I've got really good news for you, really good news for you. Because here's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. This is glorious. In John chapter 10, Jesus said to you and to me, he said, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. He's not some cosmic killjoy. He's like, no, 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 I'm inviting you into real life. And that includes while you're still a vapor, while you're still anchored on this earth, I want to show you the kind of life that is truly abundant life, not to mention what's to come. (laughs) That's gonna really blow your mind. I'm asking you into life that is abundant right here, and then that spills over into mind-blowing. You can't even imagine it. Life yet to come. I'm here to offer that because I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd has laid down his life for you. So not only is James... um, Not saying you shouldn't plan at all. He's just saying plan with God (laughs) directing things. Because here's what Jesus did when he came. If you've read through any of the four gospels, you'll hear him every now and then turn to his disciples and say, Hey, you guys, I'm heading to Jerusalem. I'm going not to this or that city. I'm going to that city. Right? Why was he going to that city? Why, even while he was traveling around Galilee and teaching and healing and preaching, why was he saying, I'm going to that city? Because when he got to that city, he was going to fall on his knees, open his hands to the Father, and say, Father, I don't want to go through the cross. I don't. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. If the Lord wills. Because Jesus also knew that the only way to open the gate of heaven for you and for me was by him going to the cross and then crushing death and rising again in victory. But all that very purposeful planning to get to Jerusalem, to fall on his knees and open his hands and say, not my will, but yours, was so that you could look at your terrible life, your godless, atheist life, and all of a sudden hear his voice saying, come now, right? I have come to give you life. And I'm not gonna hold all that over your head because I took all that. Jesus is saying, I took all that on the cross so that you could be entered into life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because if you do believe that, it will radically change your life. It certainly will change your destiny, It will certainly change the way you think about your prophets. It will certainly think about the way you think about aging. (laughs) It will certainly think about the way you pray, right? Because the good shepherd has called you and you are ready to die. But even more, you're ready to live. So I'd love to pray this through with you. So will will you join me in prayer? Let's go ahead and stand up together. Jesus, your words, whew, they're strong this morning, Lord. They're strong. Wake us up, Lord Jesus, please. And I pray that salvation would come to many today who imagine that they know a God, but they're realizing now it's a God of their own making. It's got their fingerprints all over it. Oh, invite them into life that is truly life. And when we start thinking wrongly again about life on this earth and our mortality, just the stuff we have in our hands, oh, Jesus, change it all. (laughs) Change it all. Prepare us not only for heaven, but prepare us to live this vapor of a life that we have right here on earth with you right by our side. Please, Lord, work that miracle. Work that miracle in us. And you can do it. So we look to you in Christ's name.